In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. This week on Money Tales, our guest is Fran Meyer. From her first startup, Mash.com, to her latest fifth startup, BabyQuip, Fran is a passionate entrepreneur whose mantra is, it'll all work out. Fran's motto was put to the test during the pandemic. On March 6, 2020, she presented BabyQuip, a baby gear rental business dependent on people's travel to the sharks on Shark Tank. Days later, the pandemic became a reality and the economy closed. Don't worry, it all works out. Being a savvy businesswoman, Fran and her partners took the necessary steps for the company to survive and now thrive as life gets back to normal. Fran has been active as an advisor to startups, many led by female entrepreneurs, and is an angel investor. She is also an Airbnb, quote unquote, super host, with firsthand knowledge of the need for baby gear for traveling families. Here are three key money topics Fran hits on in this conversation. First, how witnessing her parents' relationship motivated Fran to make her own money as an adult and have control over her lifestyle. Second, the importance of knowing how your relationship with money fits with your romantic partner's relationship with it. Fran uses the Game of Thrones to bring to life her personal experience. And third, how, as she navigates her 60s, Fran is less interested in stuff and more interested in experiences. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Fran Meyer. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Our past guest, Cindy Arledge, sent us a book, The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I started reading this book and I was reading a section about defining success. And I was really tuned into this because oftentimes at Experient, when we're in conversations with clients, we ask them what success means to them. And it's a question that we ask on Money Tales all the time. In this book, they shared some ideas about asking yourself questions, coming up with criteria to define success for yourself. They gave an example. And I just wanted to share some of the questions that this one individual who's noted in the book provided as examples. The first question is, and you're going to love this because it comes up a lot on Money Tales, is this opportunity, person, expense, adventure, experience, relationship, commitment, et cetera, aligned with my values? If the answer to the question is no, then you don't proceed. You're done. Oh, that's good. You don't move forward with that decision. If the answer is yes, this person has a whole other list of questions that they go through. One of which was, does this make sense financially? 
I thought that was really a creative way to approach success and money decisions at the same time. Always start with your values. If there's not alignment, say no, don't move on. If the opportunity does align with your values, opportunity to achieve success, then maybe come up with some criteria to consider and make sure it's financially viable for you. I appreciate the questions too. It's always helpful when there's something to ask of yourself or someone else to really get the thoughts going versus, oh, just figure out what success is. Exactly. And if Cindy's listening, thank you for sending this wonderful book our way. I'll pass it along to Cami when I'm done reading it. Thanks, Cindy. So let's see if our guest has any thoughts on success and values. Welcome, Fran Meyer, to the Money Tales podcast. Thanks for having me. So fun. Yeah. Would you introduce yourself? And we always like to ask if you'd share a couple pivotal moments that happened in your life that really impacted and influenced who you are today. Yeah. So my name is Fran Meyer. I'm CEO of BabyQuip. BabyQuip is a baby gear rental marketplace for traveling families. We're sort of like the Airbnb of baby gear. We're all over the United States, now in Canada, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, some select locations in the Caribbean and also in Europe, growing fast. And I love this little business. This is my fifth startup. My first was Match.com in the mid-90s. I was one of the co-founders and first general manager of Match.com. So I've been doing this entrepreneurial thing for a long time. And at this point, it's very much in my blood. And I guess pivotal moments, quite a few. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's where I am now, but ended up going to Stanford undergrad. And that was really life-changing thing that I didn't foresee happening and did happen. That set me up to be part of the overall tech scene, which is why I got into startups. I think learning lesson was when we sold Match.com for less than $8 million in 1998. I had a little bit of a redo of my mistakes there when I turned another company trustee from nonprofit to for-profit in 2008. I think another one was when I decided to get back into a, a startup, perhaps my last one, I formed BabyQuip in 2016. So quite a few. It's been a journey. I'm 61 years old now, and I know in my heart, it's the journey that really matters. Oh, what a journey and a serial entrepreneurial. I always love talking to people like you. Let's go back though. What was money like when you were growing up? My parents grew up both in poverty, both orphans. My mother had her mom, but her father died. So my parents were born in late 30s, early 40s, definitely did not come up in the best of circumstances. But as they became adults, were very hardworking and wanted more for themselves. So my dad turned out to be a pretty successful businessman. Eventually, my mom became a teacher. But I'd say they had two difficult divorces to each other, where money was definitely the center of that divorce, unfortunately less so than the kids, us, <laughs> and that was rough. Were they just fighting over money? What? The divorce wasn't precipitated by money, I don't but as the divorces played out, it was about that, and that left a very nasty taste in my mouth. And I think seeing my mom having to take a minimum wage job with the state and barely making ends meet definitely fueled my ambition not to be in that 
that position ever. Say more about that, Fran. How old were you at this time? Oh, probably 15 years old. I don't want to throw my dad under the bus, but even though we were in a community property state, it did not look fair to me, but it didn't matter. I wasn't going to be put into that space. And so I think I very much always assumed I'd make my own money and have control over my own lifestyle. And I think that was a big part of my ambition. Is that what took you to Stanford? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think also I grew up in a small town and I needed to get out of there and go after something new. So you get to Stanford and you're, you mentioned that what a life-changing decision that was. You got exposed to the tech world and lots of entrepreneurs, I'm sure. No, I'd be an entrepreneur. But then again, I think I probably did. When I was in college, I ran a yogurt shop. I had to put a group of kids together, fellow students, to run the yogurt shop, and we had to bid for it. And I mean, it sounds crazy. Frozen yogurt, right? Frozen yogurt and pizza. To this day, I'm very good at chopping strawberries. (laughs) (laughs) And I liked being the boss. I liked having control over my hours. I liked being able to decide who's going to work and building the team and getting rewarded for that kind of effort. So that was probably my first entrepreneurial thing. Then after college, I worked in consulting for a little bit. And then I went to business school pretty much focused on being marketing focused. And so I went to Stanford again and did my summer intern at the Clorox company. So that was brand management. And I liked that idea. I liked the whole being able to be in charge of the entire brand. So not just PR or communications or advertising, but packaging and margins and You're talking my language. I love marketing and branding. And And tech, and to some extent, tech still does it. Sort of silos all the different part of marketing, but consumer product marketing puts it under a brand manager. And I like that model. So I worked for Clorox in between my first and second year of business school. And then I worked for them after I graduated. Things got interesting around that time. I got pregnant shortly after I started at Clorox. So Within my first year, I was a mom, and I had my second baby while I was at Clorox, too. I wasn't the only one having kids, but it was still dicey. Career dicey? Well, no, just this is the early 90s, and working moms and working dads and all this was still a novel. Generally, I felt supported, but it was a lot, especially when you're trying to you know, get to that brand manager position and there's a bunch of other people you're kind of competing against. Nonetheless, actually, shortly after I had my first one, I was promoted. So it didn't seem like it was that big of a hit. It was challenging to manage family and work. My then husband was working full-time too. We didn't feel we had the resources to hire a full-time nanny. Finally, the right childcare And dealing with all of that was definitely challenging. Tell us how you were thinking about money at that point in your life, Fran, as you're juggling so many different responsibilities in feeding your ambition. More is better. (laughs) More is better. (laughs) I think one of the biggest challenges for families is that whole household formation time. When we bought a house in Oakland close to Clorox, the market was down because there was an earthquake in 89. And so the market was down at the same time we had to do some fortification of the home because of the earthquake threat, which is still a threat in the Bay Area. 
my ex-husband was not comfortable with levels of spending. He was not comfortable with ever carrying a credit card. He was not comfortable with spending money on things like vacations and going out to dinner. Were you, Fran? I was. I was like, hey, life's to be more lived. And money turned out to be the central issue in our marriage and our subsequent divorce. And I think that came from his family was very much depression era, very much focused on security. And as I went through my years and became an entrepreneur, I was much focused more on opportunity. Subsequently, this my younger son, post-divorce a couple of years, post-divorce, their dad went his way and I went my way, which meant I was doing more risky things and he was doing more conservative things. And my son remarked, you know, mom, I get it now. You're a Lannister and dad's a Stark from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and, you know, the Stark's motto, family motto is winter is coming. That was definitely my ex-husband. And the Lannisters is we always pay our debts. And I didn't necessarily like all the Lannister characters. They were sort of the baddies. On the other hand, there were some of the good characters were Lannisters. But I do think I kind of have an attitude of, I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to take care of things, but I'm going to do stuff. And that was the central tension. Brand, as a serial entrepreneur, do you think that's a requirement, that risk-taking, enjoy life, get out there attitude? Yeah, I kind of think so. I want to go do things. And I see money as a means to that. But the thing is, is to go out and do stuff and enjoy. And, you know, my ex-husband would admit that he probably did things that he really enjoyed that he wouldn't have done. But the tension was just too much. And as the kids got out of high school, we decided that 21 years was good. We raised two nice boys. Hopefully we didn't imbue them with too much of our issues that they're able to balance. I'm happy to say both of them have good savings and do their 401k match and all those good things. But they also go out and do stuff. That's great. Good balance. Fran, tell us about starting and then selling Match.com. Yeah. So at the time I was at AAA, I had left Clorox. In fact, I was at that point in a division that was sold. And even though I was seven months pregnant, I lost my job. And that was rough. Probably wouldn't have happened now. While I was at AAA was the first time I saw the internet, AOL, World Wide Web, that we called it World Wide Web then. And I went to my business school reunion and I met up with one of my fellow classmates, Gary Kremen, who was starting a company called Electric Classifieds. And the idea was to get the newspaper classifieds to be on this platform that he was building. But he wanted a proof of concept and Match.com was supposed to be the proof of concept. So keep in mind, most of the board members were all about getting newspapers to move their classifieds to this platform called Electric Classifieds. So they were not into match and dating because online personals or personals, back then they were gross. They were sleazy. They were all about 900 numbers. And that was not really what they wanted to be associated with. Plus, this is late 94, early 95. The idea of social networks, affiliate marketing, viralness, brand, community, all these things that we now associate with websites and even dating websites were not around. 
If I remember correctly, we were just all excited about email at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 95 was early. But by the way, women weren't participating in the internet nearly as much as men were. That quickly changed. I was at AAA. I was bored as hell. This whole thing's happening. Gary, after, after I went and visited the guys in the basement one day with Chinese food, another day with pizzas, they gave me an offer. I told Gary Kremen, the guy behind the Electric Classifieds, I couldn't make less money. There's no way my husband would go for that. So he matched my salary, which looking back was very high. In any case, I joined the team and we built the number one matchmaking websites. We redefined what personals were to online dating, online matchmaking. We were number one from the start. And I think a lot of it had to do with the things I brought to it, which were really focusing on getting women. And the idea is if we got women, the men would follow. So by 1998, we've got tens of thousands of customers, subscription business, growing quickly. And I still had to prove that all the money I spent on advertising paid out, which is something you would never even ask any social network to do now. And they decided, the Board of Electric Classifieds decided to sell Match to help fund the rest of the business. The rest of the business, nothing ever happened with it. eBay emerged, Craigslist emerged. I went through like five CEOs. And now I know I probably would have been the best one, but whatever. My big mistake is we were going out to see investors and potential other companies to buy it. Had I had more confidence, had I had more support from my ex, had I had, probably had I been a guy, somebody would have said, why don't you get the investment and take it to the next level? And I didn't do it. It didn't happen. Did it occur to you at the time, Fran? It did. I don't think I had enough confidence. And honestly, I also think that had I had more confidence and maybe reached out to people I knew, somebody would have said, why don't you do this? And I would have been encouraged. But I was 32, 33 years old, had two small children, was working my butt off, did not feel supported anywhere. And looking back, that would have been a tall order. But I learned, okay? And so a few years, three startups later, executive director of a nonprofit trustee, people have probably seen the green and black certification on privacy policies. That's what they were doing. I saved it from the dot-com bus, turned it around. And it was obvious to me that we had to get in outside capital to really compete and to have the biggest impact we could. And 2007, I had jaw surgery and recovering at home. And I decided things have to change. And so I essentially told the trustee nonprofit board, I need to bring in outside capital. If you don't let me do it, I'm just going to quit. And they got the message. They decided to give me a shot. They didn't expect that I'd raise the money. And by July, it was July 3rd, 2008, I signed paperwork to get a $10 million investment from Excel and change the company from nonprofit to for-profit, where I would be no longer executive director, but CEO and chair. You could say my timing for Match was too early because a year after we sold Match, it was sold to what became IAC at 10 times the amount. And I didn't get any of that. But when I did the deal for trustee, I got a significant equity position 
And that turned out to be really, really good for me. This is amazing. I have to ask, Fran, given Sandy's introduction, how do you define success? This all sounds so exciting, but how do you define success? Yeah, you know, I totally agree with the value thing. Impact is really big, you know, and I knew with trustee, we were having impact on people's interactions and their information on the internet. I know with Match, even though I made no real money on the deal, it really made a difference to, I mean, millions of people probably at this point. Absolutely. So feel great about that. You can take credit for 70% of the marriages in the United States, at least. It's kind of crazy, right? I will have to say that Silicon Valley, the scorecard is probably good exits and money. So it's not immune to that scorecard. Ultimately, I left trustee and they brought in somebody else to be CEO. And I went along with it. It was a bit disappointing, but I really wasn't willing to commit to another 10 years of doing it either. So it turned out to be okay. And over the years, I've been able to sell some of my trustees' shares, and that's been good for me. But I am finding baby quit success to be very validating. Is the dollar aspect of baby quip involved in your assessment? Well, no, I don't think it's so much the dollar, but we are a brand. We are making a difference in people's lives. We continue to grow. We're having an impact. I mean, I don't think it's a question having survived the pandemic. If we will survive, I think it's a question of when and how will we exit at this point. In any sort of absolute sense, I've done very well, but I think we all measure ourselves relatively. And it bothers me I didn't have that big win with Match or maybe some of the other ones, even though I could say and take a lot of credit. So there's an undercurrent of, damn it, why do I still have to work so hard? At the same time, I know I've got the resources to really make decisions about what I want to do. I just came back from a vacation in Europe and not like every meal was fancy, but you know, let's go to the Florentine Steakhouse, no problem. It surprised me though, I did not come back with a lot of stuff. And I think that I'm in this transition stage of being less interested in stuff and more interested in doing things. Experiences. In fact, I'm beginning to feel like the stuff I have is a bit of a weight on me. I'm trying to clear that weight. So I'm living now in Santa Fe, and I have a house in San Francisco. And honestly, I love that house. I had a dream of having a house on a hill in San Francisco for a long time. And when I got that house, I was like, woohoo. And it's gorgeous. This is my post-divorce house decorated the way I wanted. I have my artwork in there. I mean, it's just fantastic. And I'm now thinking I'm going to sell it. Like it's now as the house, this dream become stuff almost? Yeah. And my friends are surprised, but I think they're also at a stage where they're looking at things and I'm not sure I'm going to move back to San Francisco. And when the pandemic came and I came out to Santa Fe, I certainly want to keep the option of keeping the San Francisco house for a later time open. So I've been renting it. I guess another factor is managing the rentals, managing all that is work. And while I've been doing it for a long time, it's not quite as fun as I wanted it to be. On the other hand, 
in my typical fashion, I was all hot to put it on the market. And now I'm thinking, no, right now is probably not the best time. And so I have the luxury of not having to do it right now. I can wait until the market dynamics are better. And in the meanwhile, I'm thinking more about what I'm going to do. And so I'm really happy that I have the maturity now to say, okay, slow down. Yes, this might be the right path and you probably should do it and start to explore how best to do it. But it's pretty clear that now's not the best time to sell a house in San Francisco. So have your your businesswoman's mind that you're applying to your personal finances. It's not always easy for people to do. It's hard to be objective around our own. Oh, yeah. But, you know, agility, resilience, these are things that I think and a certain amount of wisdom and perspective are things that you get as you get older. One of the bigger turning points, too, was post that divorce, I moved from Alameda to San Francisco, bought the house. And within months, I was an Airbnb host. I bought the house without knowing if I was going to get another job, what the other job was going to be. But I kind of figured... It'll work work out. out. That's your motto. (laughs) You found that house on the hill. It was your dream. You had a bridge between (laughs) your current life and the one you were leaving behind. Yeah, it was crazy. So in months, I started renting rooms in the top floor of my San Francisco three-story at home. And Airbnb was down the street. So I did it as a lark, really. How does this work? Just wanted to kind of know. Or, you know, could I make a little bit of extra money? I started to make tons of money. And that side hustle led me to baby quit because it started me thinking about how do people travel, how's that changing, and how is work changing? Because again, and you know, this is 2012, 13, 14, Uber and Lyft and all these gig economy things were happening. And now I was doing it. And when I met somebody who was doing a baby gear rental business in Santa Fe, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And in our first meeting, I said, I should be your CEO. And she didn't say yes right away, but we formed the company about five months after we met in in May of 2016. And so there's no way that I would have gotten to baby quit had I not done my Airbnb side hustle. So within months, I went five years, I went from being this privacy person doing all these privacy conferences around the world and running a privacy compliance and data you know, management company to being in hospitality. Crazy. And then the pandemic hits and it hits hospitality straight on. And you survived, which must feel unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I remember March of 2020 was, was probably the, one of my most roller coaster months of it all. At the beginning of the month, we we're getting ready. We knew our Shark Tank episode would air on March 6th. So the beginning of the month, we were all like, okay, how are we going to do social media, planning a party at my house, doing all these things. Then March 6th is the airing. It goes great. We didn't take any money, but I had a good back and forth with Mr. Wonderful. And also I did it with my son, who's Baby Quip's chief technology officer, my oldest son, Joe. So, so much more fun for me to do Shark Tank with my son, right? Plus he he arranged for the, the pack meal and all the other stuff to happen. So it was easier. So this is supposed to be like our big moment. And then the pandemic, I mean, so on March 6th. Week later, right? I had probably 50 people at my house. Nobody was shaking hands or hugging. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And the next week I went to LA and I bought a cleaning business and went through with that. Is this one of your other gig? 
Well, baby quip cleaning is under baby quip, but this is to clean car seats and strollers mostly for local families, which turned out to be a good time to buy that. Baby quip was getting tons of cancellations. And my own Airbnb VRBO business was taking. I had all these people scheduled to rent my houses in San Francisco. And at this point, I had two properties in Santa Fe and everybody was canceling. And I had to give all these refunds back. And I mean, I was like, oh my God, you know, what's going to happen here? How did you get through that period, Fran? The pandemic itself was frightening, but to have the financial stress on top of it. Yeah. You know, it turned out all right. Obviously, from a business standpoint, we cut back our marketing spend. My team and I all took pretty deep pay cuts. We refocused the business on this new cleaning thing. But also, some people were still traveling and needed the gear. I got the government money. I closed an additional investment at the end of March that was in the works. So so BabyQuip ended up having enough money at that lower level of spending. And personally, I decided to move to Santa Fe. I thought just for a short period of time to be closer to my mom. I had vacation rentals here, so I had a place to live, my mom being in a retirement community. And I ended up renting my house in San Francisco. I ended up renting my other house in Santa Fe for longer-term rentals because people were coming to places like Santa Fe. By early 2021, everything was starting to come back for baby quip. I raised some extra money then for Baby Quip in early 2021 and then again in early 2022. And we have a line of sight with a little bit more investment to profitability. So it's kind of exciting. Persistence pays. Yeah. Congratulations to you on all of that, friend. Right. So so right now, I think uh, having turned 60 last year, I'm 61 now, I do think that I'm in the process of changing. One of my prior financial advisors called the stage the stage of abundance or the stage of harvest. I think harvest is definitely, you know, I'd like some of my investments to start paying off. Over the years, I've made investments as an angel investor in some private companies, as well as an LP in some venture funds. I definitely think we're approaching a new normal with this post-pandemic, and I don't know what it is, but I think the pandemic was enough of a shock to the system that things will stay different, such as the way people are working and things like that. I feel fine. You know, I wouldn't mind a little bit more cash flow. I don't pay myself as high as I probably could at BabyQuip because I own so much of it, which is great. I have two fully launched sons who certainly take care of themselves and it'd be nice to leave them money, but they'll be fine. I'm focused on, you know, my relationships and living a good life. Fran, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? My dad and my stepmother are definitely facing some challenges, health challenges. I had a conversation with them probably a year ago and am satisfied that they probably have the resources that they need. But it was a difficult thing to bring up. They might have habits that make them more careful with money. I'd like them to do whatever they need to do to feel happiness as much as possible during these more challenging times. Within my cohort of friend group, we're all dealing with our parents aging. My mom didn't really have enough resources at the end. I think my dad will, but it's a hard conversation. 
They are. They're really hard, Fran, and such important conversations. I feel confident, again, that my dad and stepmom have it in hand, but it would be nice if there was a little bit more transparency and that they would make sure they're doing what they can to live their most fullest life as they can. Excellent, Fran. And the conversation with your dad and stepmom sounds like a really important one. And kudos to you for doing that. Thank you for joining us on Money Tales. But before we let you go, where can our listeners find you? What's the best place? They can find me on LinkedIn, Fran Meyer, M-A-I-E-R, or they can find me at Fran at BabyQuip, B-A-B-Y-Q-U-I-P dot com. We really appreciate you bringing your perspective to money, to business, your entrepreneurial passions, and sharing your stories with us on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time. Oh,